0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast, soon to be renamed something with a color palette consisting of various colors and a new website. So all wow. of this, yes, it it, it will come. Package. We're now getting we're now getting reviews, um, <laughs> <laughs> commenting on the on the color palette that that there's skepticism, and I understand that. I I understand that. Um, I want to thank. Uh, A couple of people for joining our Patreon team this last week. Peter, Mark, and Adam. Those are not three people. Peter, Mark, is one person, and Adam is a second person. I want to say thank you for joining our Patreon team. It's a big deal for us. and um, We we decided early on um, that we wanted to not do uh, adverts, as they say, but more of an NPR kind of thing, and so we're super grateful that People consistently sign up and join us in the endeavor for producing this, and then um, you know, seeing where it goes. So we're we're five years and uh, maybe f- six months um, into this whole thing, and it's, it's it's taken on a life that I don't think we could have ever imagined. It's Tim, a monster. Tim, I literally six minutes ago I just finished WandaVision and so i am oh, a bit I haven't watched it yet, so don't say anything I, i'm a bit of a mess oh um oh well if you haven't watched it i thought you would have watched it so i had this whole thing i wanted to, to tell you about but now i can't don't say a word i cannot say a word I'm gonna watch dang it right after this it. i had dang i had a good riff on it <laughs> and i thought for sure you would have gotten up early to watch it
1: no but i got up early and took the kids to school and then i read a bunch of articles
0: Okay, I'm really I really want you to th- think about your life choices this morning, <laughs> and um, and just you know, because I have a thing I have a I have a I have a take a hot take on a cultural moment. Uh-oh. Yeah, and now it's now it's empty. All right. Uh oh. Well, speaking of hot takes on cultural moments, <laughs> t- Timothy, it's a good segue. You've <laughs> you you've got a a bee up your bonnet. What? Evidently there are some ding dongs claiming the name of Jesus out there in the world. Ooh. And um and, and you're you're a bit unsure of their motivations. You wanna you Here's wanna comment Tim's on the troubled things. Times. Tim's troubled times, ladies and gentlemen. Let's Tim's troubled times. Let's hear it. Tell us what's on Tim's Troubled Heart.
1: No, I well I mean it was a busy week in the uh in the uh Christian Evangelical American market. We had the CPAC. What was that? The conservative, conservative Political Action Committee or conference? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. something.
0: It's yeah. It's but, but it's the yearly confab of conservatives, and the big question was: Okay, is wh- How's Trump going to be positioned in this thing?
1: Right. That was the big. Uh, that was supposed to be the big revelation: was if the Republican Party was going to decisively say hey we are no longer subscribing to the chaos of the last four years we're going to try to get back to where we were uh or what we found was that they are embracing that ding dong wow no no tim here is
0: speaking tim here is speaking we have listeners who are fans of president trump we have listeners who are republicans what and who are not fans of president trump but are are fans of Republican policies. We have also all sorts of listeners. So Tim here is exercising his right of (laughs) ding-dong to nominate um, uh, El Presidente for uh, that name. So uh, so not only was there, it, it seemed, I mean, did you watch it? Did I read? Did you text me that you watched it? Well, I watched,
1: like, a- afterwards, I watched a bunch of the speeches or clips and whatnot.
0: Okay. All right. And uh, give us the overall vibe, Timothy. Well, I think the best
1: example of the overall vibe uh, was that there was, like, a literal golden calf. <laughs>
0: yeah, you mean his calf into muscles? The hallowed halls. His calf muscles because he was in flip-flops?
1: Yeah, he was wearing it. It was his, a gold uh, statue gold statue of trump <laughs> the the irony of the whole thing is just too thick oh uh, and i think i read that the statue itself was even imported from mexico so it's like oh perfect so mexico mexico irony. paid for it perhaps yeah, so, maybe maybe no, i don't know maybe that's maybe not it's true. all been tied together
0: so yeah there was no shortage of memes from the enough. moment they were wheeling this sucker down, this gold-plated President Trump, <laughs> and so even even if you're a fan, come on, man, <laughs> you gotta admit that's just so crazy. Could you imagine uh, what Fox News would have done with somebody done that with Obama? I mean, give and me a break, Obama. Oh yeah, gold I mean they lost their minds when Obama it'd be Obama when he wore his tan suit. That was as Clock close News to gold lockets, as he got. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. just, that's, and then, and then, did they not? I, I'd read somewhere, but Tim, I, you would know better. Had they done a survey of the CPAC audience to determine what were the most important issues for voting? Yes. And they did. And
1: shockingly. Well, what, well Mike, what do you think was number one? So they polled the CPAC audience to say, hey, conservative Republican voters, what are the most important issues to you yeah. in 2021? Well,
0: if if the trend of 2016 continued, where there was great lip service to pro-life, but pro-life was like eighth or ninth on the list, yeah. I'm going to say something like immigration or Second Amendment was number one, or economy. Immigration was number three. Okay.
1: Economy was number four. Number nice. one uh was election integrity oh, by a large yes margin. Okay. All right. And that was that was a lot of what the the conversations and the speeches were about, still the stolen election. right. Um and cancel culture. Cancel culture was a big topic. Oh, we're go- we're going to get to
0: that. We're going to get that cuz What? Cuz I own two Dr. Seuss books that are of ill repute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> collectors items
0: now. And I got rid of I got rid of my potato head just in protest. There you go. No more Mr.
1: So uh uh, sanctity of life dignity pro-life was the came in
0: last place <laughs> which you know i mean it's just so Ah, uh, my conservative friends blessings upon your house and for those i i am a sanctity of life person from the womb to the tomb baby but that internal contradiction is astounding to me Absolutely astounding. We give, we'll fight to the death on the pro life hill, but actually, what matters most is advancing our political agenda um, and money. And it's just, it's just so funny. A- and then, Timothy, did you have more yes. you wanted to say about that? No,
1: nope. It was just, <laughs> you kind of like, I want the Republican Party to succeed. I think it's important to have uh, two parties, uh, to have a. You know, it's like the free market. It works better if there's competition in business. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. work better when we're when we're having a conversation rather than
0: but, just. But like we've said, Tim, um, there are certain elements of both parties that are utterly the same. We've talked about sure. this—the in Sermon on the Mount series, right? It's just two sides of the same political philosophy about the relationship between government and its citizens. individual liberties and where you draw those lines so in one sense okay um the there there's a bothness to them that is inescapable uh in another sense um they are radically different views of how to treat people who are other i mean who who where do our best interests lie with ourselves or the other um so Man, it's uh, you know. I, I think I, I've been secretly hoping for years since Ross Perot, uh, dated mm-hmm. reference, ran as a third party candidate that they would actually be Dana a, Carvey. Dana Carvey played him on SNL. That there would be some you know re- release of the stranglehold of yeah. the two party system, and and perhaps perhaps this might achieve it because the official Republican Party. Doesn't give any indication of, of wanting to learn from, exercise humility over, um, or learn graciousness uh, towards what what happened the last four years at all, and instead we're now just doing the same you know the same the same dance in a different direction. Well, speaking of Tim and articles and cancel culture, I um, I loved the article that you sent this week about the front man from Striper. Striper and yeah. For those of you who are of a certain age, Striper was my, it was my permitted heavy rock <laughs> listen <laughs> in the catalog of Christian song, Christian bands you were allowed to listen, but he, they were even sketchy because they, uh, they wore yellow and black and they rocked and they sang songs like to hell with the devil.
1: Yeah, they were and they were
0: edgy for the for they were the edgy
1: even for the the Christian kids.
0: Yeah, so so Striper, awesome, awesome. Actually, there were there were a couple of songs I really liked. I mean, they they were like they they kicked. It, it taught me uh, about rock and roll before because I was in my Duran Duran phase, and then all of a <laughs> sudden they were you know they were blistering. But all that is to say, um, he. The frontman Michael Sweet, I believe is his name, is worried that the uh, the Bible's going to be canceled. They they one of the hallmarks of their concerts is they throw Bibles at people. Yeah. Uh, how they say it is they toss Bibles into the crowd. Um what probably happens is that the Bibles are just landing on unsuspecting citizens. Um but anyway, so because of that, the, he is worried <laughs> That's quite an image. He is worried about the Bible being canceled. I, and I just saw the headline and I, I chuckled to myself and I said, self, it seems so paradoxical that whenever the church uh, gets made the state religion, it dies. But wherever the church is officially disavowed by the state, it flourishes. Yeah, And it's kind of like if that's our greatest fear that people will all of a sudden find our Bible offensive and insist that we not read it, I couldn't think of a better thing that could happen. Um, (laughs) because that, that literally the way you kill the church is wet it with the state and the way you make the church flourish is to, to make the state opposed to the church. And, um, and obviously, I'm not a fan of what happens to persecuted people, the imprisonments, the beatings, the deaths, the martyrdoms. I mean, all of that is horrific. But if you're looking at the health of the church, it's just interesting to me that um, the Bible, people have been trying to cancel the Bible for a very long time, yeah. and it only makes it spread And so that's where I'm like, ah, and and this whole idea of cancel culture, I I just, I find so funny because first of all, I don't, I mean, Tim, you know, this Christians invented this Christians, along with the moral majority, we invented a culture war over the fabric of this country. One of the tools in our culture war arsenal is the boycott and the protest. And, um, and so, you know, I was told to boycott, uh, Disney early on um, <laughs> Procter and Gamble uh, because they had some sort of imagery on their <laughs> on their on their something. Um, I was told to boycott uh, Target recently. I was told to boycott um, there was I mean it was it's like this long list of big companies yeah. or, or like oh when, when somebody leaves the faith like Amy Grant was secular and so she was she was I mean come on. So this is, this is a, a weapon of the church being wielded by culture against it, and we're complaining. Yeah. The church is the one that framed uh, the relationship between the church and the state as one of culture war, that our job was to take these centers of gravity and influence and to turn them Christian so that downstream from things like education and entertainment and medicine, uh, people would be sort of indoctrinated into Christianity, even yeah. culturally. Like, there's this battle we got to fight for the soul of our nation. Um, and you didn't you? You sent me an article about something like this, correct? Oh yeah. Did you read this? This so this was, this was David
1: French. This is pretty. This is what, what was the date on this? February 28th, so this is really recent. So he wrote an article on, um, the title of the article is How a Rising Religious Movement Rationalizes the Christian Grasp for Power. And then the subtitle is On the Dangers of the Seven Mountain Mandate.
0: Ooh. And I, I kept
1: look- seeing that seven mountain thing, I, I th- probably most, I don't know if most people, is it that widely? Well, even he says in the beginning of the article, like you may not be familiar with the name, but you're right. familiar with the effects.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so the origin of the mandate, he says, rests with an alleged divine revelation shared by Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade or Crew, yeah. Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission or YWAM, yep, and Francis Schaeffer, who was a big deal when I was in college, as kind of like a, um, a radical apologist and philosopher. Yeah, and um. And there, I, I'm just literally reading from the article. Um, the, there are seven key cultural and religious institutions that should be influenced and transformed by Christian believers to create godly change in America. Yeah. The key to transforming the nation rests with the family, the church, education, media arts, the economy, and the government with the truth of the gospel. <laughs> so everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. They set up the ideas like... So those three... Guys, all thought that they or they all claim that they had um, a divine revelation um, independently. That God was telling them that they that these are seven mountains that need to be kind of overtaken. Yeah. Um, from the world and um, that there needs to be Christian kings that sit upon each of these mountains. And so there that it breaks. It goes. It's oh, really wow. interesting because it breaks wow. all the way down to like Paula White and. Then the Jeremiah Johnson guy that predicted um, Trump's win in 2015 and then prophesied—they all call it prophecy. It's all prophecy. It's not—it's mm. um, not educated guesses or hypotheses. It's—it's oh, it's prophecy. Of course, it uh, is. he he prophesied that Trump would win again in 2020, and when he didn't, he had to apologize and said he was wrong, and then he got death threats and um, <laughs> like all this crazy stuff from people who were so mad that he. But this didn't work out that way but i mean everything oh. that you're saying about the culture war and everything this is i mean they're like you see we've we've seen it right we've seen this over the last totally four this, years for sure
0: like we're this, grabbing no, no. at power this was the whole this was the rise of the religious right this was what right. pro-life um uh rhetoric was mobilized to accomplish we have to take over the courts. We have to take over school boards. We have to, we have to create um, uh, Christian industries uh, in art uh, and media um, yeah. that are more safe. And and I mean, obviously, there's a baseline of truth that's like, hey, there are culture like not all of culture is to be received uncritically. And some of it's right. to be rejected outright. Some of it is yeah. antichrist. But what I want to, what what seems so obvious in hindsight is that the very framing of the relationship between the church and the world in those terms is completely antithetical to the New Testament, to the practice and witness of Jesus, to the preaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and to the practice of Paul, where he just calls churches to fidelity. He doesn't call them to influence culture. He calls them to fidelity, to their witness, and that is how they influence culture. And I, I cannot tell you, Timothy John, the irreparable harm done uh, in the name of taking the culture back for Christ. Um, yeah. I, I am, I repudiate all formal involvement of anything that smacked of that. Totally. Um, it is so not of Jesus even remotely. And that doesn't mean of course that we just sit idly by and that culture good going to culture is going to do what it's going to do. No, no, no. Well it it does require thoughtful engagement no question about this we're invited in our political system to be active hallelujah for that but we come to it as ambassadors of another kingdom entirely one that resists all oh. of the influences of the seven mountain thing right can i
1: read can i read the last little section that he wrote sure is that okay cuz he's saying he's he's saying what you're saying oh no nice. cuz he was talking about how Trump was a mountain king and um, we lost that seat in uh. a very really powerful power. So this is, this is French's words now. What is the alternative to the pursuit of power? I prefer the wisdom of Martin Luther King Jr., quote, The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool, end quote. Christians can never forget that they live in what my pastor once called an upside-down kingdom, the last shall be first. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Christ, you'll save it. And don't forget, the son of God himself spent his entire life on earth far from the mountaintop. He was born in a manger, (laughs) distant from the centers of power. He was the friend of sinners. He was persecuted and punished by a mountain king named Pilate and executed next to a thief. When he rose, he appeared not to Caesar, but to a small band of ordinary men and women who would become (laughs) martyrs, not rulers. Peasants. Christ prevailed. This this last part's really good. Christ prevailed as my friend and seminary professor, Curtis Chang, told me not by fighting from the commanding power of the heights, but by fighting from utterly different terrain. When scripture calls Christians to take up your cross and follow me, listen to this. It's declaring in Curtis's words that our mountain is Golgotha, the dusty Israeli hill where Christ was crucified. Oh, that's our, snap. that's our king's mountaintop,
0: and even and
1: even then that's such a that's a powerful. I mean, in this conversation, what a powerful image that is.
0: That's an incredible image, but even then, I don't like French's words of the of the word fight. We're not fighting. Right. Flesh right. and blood is not our freaking enemy. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, totally. it's not like we're engaging from a different position. And no. we're fighting. No, no, no. And I know that's not what he's saying, but I even I even balk at that word. No, I mean it's it's a poorly chosen word in light of the
1: the point in the thread. But the, okay. everything we've done with the Sermon on the Mount, like the whole last section, the whole, you know, the rest is commentary. It's just How how did we
0: F and I want to use the real word? Then you should just use it. How did we effing miss this? <laughs> I, I mean don't know, man. The, the distinguishing mark of the kingdom of God is self-sacrificial enemy love. Jesus, when confronted with Pilate's power, I mean, this is so instructive, right? Pilate's like, don't you know who I am? Jesus (laughs) is like, dude, you wouldn't have any position except what my father gives you. Do you not think I can call down 72 freaking thousand angels right now? No, this has to happen. Um, I mean he 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 so redefines power and so so guys like Greg Boyd have been Shane Claire, Claiborne Claiborne, Claiborne 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 have been so instrumental. Um a, a guy named Donald Craybill who wrote a book called The Upside Down Kingdom. Um they've been so instrumental in saying, no, we're not I see I would and man, M O K, dude. But I don't even know if we're the conscious of the state, conscience of the state. Like I don't even like that language. Yeah. We're something, we are a counter state. We are a counter-narrative. We are, we are what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's completely upside down. It's to be an embodied indictment of the way the world runs. So I don't. So, yes, in our political system, and this is why Christian nationalism is so attractive, in our system, we get a voice. And so it's Mm. very easy to say, oh, yeah, that voice is prophetic, and that's us crying out in the wilderness and to Christianize the whole thing. But what Jesus is inviting to in the imagination of Paul, and I use that language straight from right, isn't a revitalized state. That's not the goal of freaking Jesus following. (laughs) The goal of Jesus following is a revitalized church. Oh. that's it there's no effing mandate ever to reform the state i mean how in the freaking world and i i'm i'm a part gummit. um and i just i stand completely and utterly against it and i'm now committing the rest of my life to oppose that entire way of looking at jesus following and its relationship to the culture yeah, it was the whole Sermon by- on the
1: Mount, and I think you yep. said halfway through the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus was flipping all of that upside down. Yeah. What, what I don't remember what context you said it in, but you, we were talking and you said that, you know, why would, if Jesus was willing to do that then you know why would he not be willing to do that now like he tore down his father's structure why
0: not now oh he is he absolutely utterly is all of this stuff coming to light all the corruption all the shallowness i mean do you why do you know why the southern baptist convention is uh getting devoured by debates about crt um uh it's and and right what's crt stand for critical race theory yes thank you it escaped my mind for a second it's because the church has never done the hard work of repentance. Yeah. So God, I mean literally, there there are other system systemic forces that are prophetic being raised up outside the church to call it to account. Yeah. Because it has lost its saltiness in the words of Jesus, it is good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled upon. Yeah. And so we're seeing, we're seeing what it looks like to be trampled upon, right? Just time after time, example after an example, and and um, and those are the ones that get the publicity. And I understand that there are millions of people who are building colonies of the kingdom all around us, right? Um. I but I I just think we have lost any sense of imagination about what we are doing in the world. Um. It, it is this this seven mountain thing and God bless those men and, and crew has done great work and young life is, or YWM has done good work and, and Labrie Le- um, from uh, Schaefer, but, but we have to reckon with the carnage of that way of viewing Christianity and its relationship to the state is done also. And that, that we have now people who cannot simply tell the difference between the Republican vision of the world and the Christian vision of the world. Uh, Or it's becoming more and more evident, and I hate both sides in this, but it is true. I'm just, I I think it's true. I'm seeing some of the same fundamentalisms on the so-called progressive side that don't reflect the Sermon on the Mount either. And so you're just sitting like, okay, I have progressive sensitivities about the other. I don't want to add to the marginalization and oppression of people. I do believe in institutional power structures and gender power structures that have come to exist in this fallen world and must be resisted and named and awoken to. Absolutely. But I can't go all the way on some things. And I look at my conservative friends and I'm sitting here going, how in the world can you justify backing this when it blatantly contradicts everything that Jesus lives and taught? For yeah. the sake of um, what turns out to be the tenth or the last voted, you know, priority on our list, and I just am like, I, I, I mean, that's why we talk about feeling, you know, spiritually homeless. I don't, I don't fit in either one of those. You don't fit in either one of those, and so we just sit with Jesus, and you recognize the more you, the longer you sit in the sermon, that this way of framing. Um, how we are to approach the world uh, is actually demonic. Like when we talk about being the conscience, conscience of the state, right? That that can so easily turn into the language of the accuser. Mm. Um, we're just we're shaming people who aren't Christian for not being Christian. Um, I think the way we are the conscience of the state is by embodying a prophetic counterculture. Um, where when the state misses it, we actually... I mean, that that was what they did to Rome. Rome didn't take care right. of its poor. The church did. Yeah. And Rome was pissed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so to me, I read all of this, and not one bit of me thinks, oh, man, we really got our work cut out. If we're going we're gonna to transform America. <laughs> mm. Damn it. I have enough to do trying to freaking walk with Jesus myself, yeah. let alone be a part of a community where we want to provide a fresh and alternative way of conceiving of the Christian life. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that we all need to like stop wanting so bad to be defined by somebody else or defined by something else or like taking on a name or having to fit into a particular structure of something and, and then test all of those spirits like the, like we, um, I don't remember if we were talking off mic or not, but like the Dr. Seuss stuff that that was the Dr. Seuss family that was pulling it was the foundation that was yeah. pulling those books, not not Joe Biden, not progressive culture. There was no influence there. They just found some books that would be troubling for kids of color to read, and so they decided not to publish those six out of hundreds. Yeah, but testing the spirits when Facebook is telling you that that was cancel culture or that was <laughs> a progressive movement. Like dig for two minutes yeah. and find out that that's not what it is and totally. don't be defined by other people.
0: Well, I mean, I just think about if, if he had a, if in the 1940s, kids with Down syndrome were right. called like mongloids and, you know, and retards yep. and, um, you know, and totally, oh, I and mean. That was I, accepted language of the time. Yeah. I wouldn't sit
1: and in now judgment we,
0: and now we know yep. better. Yes. And so, I, I I really don't think asking, uh, re-examining the cultural artifacts from previous eras, and recognizing that some of those, and 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 sitting in the tension of, um, the recognition that this is part of history, like yeah. these things really happened, and they yes. really hurt people,
2: Animals and hurt also.
0: And also recognizing, yes, that we don't want to perpetuate it. Yeah. And so you do this dance, um, but yeah, I the the idea that the the canceling is an artifact of a Christian culture war that should never be have been fought. Yeah. Um, we do not have to announce boycotts. We simply are in the world, and if there is something that we find a bit sketchy. Or uh, harmful to the world, we create a thriving counterculture uh, that promotes the good. In, in... our mountain is Golgotha. Oh, dude, I that, really that, like that. <laughs> that's a great dude. We should spend some time on that. Let's think about that more because yeah. that's a maybe. That's you what know we'll what's do nice too
1: week? is that it's it's also kind of metal, so it really lends <laughs> some credence to striper because wasn't isn't Golgotha like the place of the skull or something like yes! that? Isn't
0: it? <laughs> yes, yes. Our mountain is gone, Gotham! <laughs> oh, I'm going to try to put some music behind what you just did. <laughs> Please, give it some auto-tune before you do anything else. <laughs> oh, good Lord, you got me all fired up. Timothy. Sorry.
1: There's always so much happening in the world. Damn, but man, as we're doing the Sermon on the Mount, I just can't like... The rest is commentary. I just, I can't get that out of my head and I can't get this, like, love your neighbor and all of these culture wars
0: are not that. I can't tell you, Tim, how transforming this has been for me. Oh, me too. I I literally just sit and go, well, maybe we should do it again (laughs) because, I mean, the rest is commentary, right? I mean, that's a vision for your whole life right there. That it's a real Dr. Ends. Seuss
1: vision, actually, like standing on one foot. It seems yes. like a Dr. Seuss book all on, all on its own.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I will become a convert if you describe the Torah while I stand on one foot. Okay. <laughs> all right. What you hate, do not do to your neighbor. Okay. Right? Or in Jesus's words, love your neighbor as yourself. Bam. Yeah. It, it's oh, It's so good. Man, this stuff makes me so happy. And makes me so infuriated so let's do a little sermon on the mount timothy John. Let's, now that now it. that you got the blood flowing my mind racing <laughs> we have one of the apostles today uh reading from the book of matthew we have a guy named john <laughs> so all he he emailed us and he simply and, and he, he signed his email uh i am the disciple who jesus loves There you go. Um, And so we found out his name was John and was offering to read this. And so who knows, maybe stranger things have happened. Maybe. Um, So the voice of an angel, John, is going to read our text today from Matthew 7.
2: Hi, this is John Vinalas. I'm reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
0: Thank you, John. Um... And we have we may we may go a little even longer than that because Jesus here shockingly is just doing such genius stuff and it's very very relevant to our world right now. So let's let's take each of these sections sort of individually and they build on each other. So enter through the narrow gate, and narrow is interesting. So uh, obvious. I, I've been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. And there are a whole bunch of different ways to get in the city.
1: I've never uh, been there. Can we do a Vox uh, yeah field oh, trip, dude? We, we should do a Vox trip like that where we podcast while we're there,
0: like in the different section, like different places. That's genius. That's genius. The problem is they're ex- it's expensive. Yeah, but what's That's why I've what's never been. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. Um, so I was there and there are these big these big gates obviously the east gate uh is one of those that are that are meant for large groups um and then there are these other gates you know that are that are like a little more hidden a little more difficult to navigate and and that was true of most most ancient cities right you'd have the gates that would kind of lead to the center of town and then you would have other sorts of gates and the the image here is that you have to find one that's harder to get into not harder in the sense of more physically demanding but it's not the natural flow the natural flow is going to take you to the big gates right um, this one, you have to want to find that's the image. And the word narrow here, um, it has, has the connotation of like suffering or trouble. Like it's narrow, not, not in contrast to wide, but, but the, the narrow, the narrowing is because they're suffering here. You have, and it requires intentionality. You have to want to get in this way. This isn't how the main roads are going to take you. So he says, enter through the narrow gate, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So a couple of thoughts. It's not just any entrance, contra to our progressive um, uh, sympathies about, dude, just come however and whenever and whoever and whatever. Like the Jesus, the, the 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 gate is narrow, not because it demands um, doctrinal purity. It's narrow because it's Jesus shaped. Like what Jesus is doing here is so blasphemous. Uh, he is making his allegiance to his teaching the entrance to life. And again, to a Jewish audience, they're not missing what he's saying. <laughs> right? Moses did this too, but he had Yahweh stamp right on the mountain, right. but it was choose life or choose death. That was the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus is riffing here on Deuteronomy and he's using a very common I- image. A, the road is narrow, which means it's harder. Like there's suffering here. There's persecution here. Secondly, it's narrow because it's Jesus shaped. So it's not just mike erie's personal religious belief shaped it's jesus shaped wide and narrow have to do with the difficulty and the ease. so so wide the the word there also connotes ease of travel right it's the flatter um and there's a sense in which both of these choices are being made all the time Hmm. um If you, and so Jesus paints this picture of the kingdom and he says, listen, the normal gravity of human history isn't going this direction, right? If you're, if it like human history, man, there's so much good and culture building that comes and so much that's evil and horrible, but the normal gravity well of, of human history will always see success and power and in things in anti-kingdom ways. Uh, purpose and meaning, all of that in anti-kingdom ways. And so you have to want to deviate from that path. So it's it's a harsh word, but it gets harsher <laughs> because, because he's now going to say, uh, and the narrow gate isn't doctrinal purity. And my goodness, this, oh, we're going to get into this. But the narrow gate is obedience to his words not the words of Torah, to his words, bro, as my son would say, bro. <laughs> Good Lord. And then, and then he says, and then now he begins to talk of, um, the leaders of the broad road. Okay. So he's not switching images. See, I used to think he's talking about, he's giving four separate images. No, I think he's talking about the same image. Um, so now he's going to say, watch out for false prophets. These are the prophets that beckon you to the broad road. They come to you in sheep's clothing, right? The image is that they're innocent, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, images that they want to harm you by their fruit. You will recognize them and fruit here for Jesus means the inner qualities, So Paul, you know, uses the idea of the fruit of the spirit, right? When the the spirit is at work in somebody, it shows itself in character and that Mm -hmm. character will obviously show itself in action. Well, it's also true if the spirit isn't at work in somebody that will show itself in character and that character will show itself in action. So, uh, do not by their fruit. You will recognize the true prophets from the false ones. And then he just gives this, this really common sense analogy Um, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, um, or figs from thistles? The idea is you don't pick good fruit from rotten bushes. Yeah. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot uh, bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, the natural question here is, well, what does he mean by fruit, right? So he says, what, just be on guard against the broad, really easy path. That's the gravity of human history, right? We'll take you down the path of violence, down the path of oppression, down the path of injustice, the path of idolatry, uh, the path of just follow your own desire, right? That's the, but the Jesus-shaped path, you got to want that one. Yeah. <laughs> and and it involves a kind of suffering that's different from the broad one. But there will be people dressed in my name who will beckon you to the broad one. Good Lord. And they'll just disguise it, but inwardly, right? They are as awful as anyone else on the road. And the way you'll know is by their actions that there will always be a difference between their insides and their outsides. And so he uses an agricultural example. Of course, if I take, if I take a pear tree and tie apples to it, does that make it an apple tree? No, no, it does not. Timothy, it's still a pear tree, right? (laughs) So tying good deeds on a bad tree doesn't make it a good tree. Yeah. All right. Then, oh, now he's still talking about the same people. He's not switching topics. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day. And and so when Jesus uses the phrase that day, he's talking about the Old Testament day of the Lord when Israel was going to be called to account, Jesus broadens this to include the Gentile nations, the idea that the whole world, it's called the day of the Lord, the whole world will be full of light and fire uh, and everything will be laid bare. What's real will be what's left, right? We talked about this when we talked about hypocrisy, Yeah. right? So he says, on that day, many will say to me, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. (laughs) Now, dude, this is one of the scariest, most sobering passages for me as somebody who um, wants to help lead the church. Right. Right, because, you know, I, I want to sit and I want to think about ooh, true lie, and I think about all the false prophets out there, but I the text is beckoning me first inward. As it does. And, as it does, as it should, anyway. And and notice, notice what he says about the fruit. All right. The fruit is not spiritual gifts. Hmm. Because these people are doing miracles and they're casting right. out demons. Yeah. The the fruit is not a successful ministry because these people are casting out demons, performing miracles. Right. The fruit is not religious confession because they call him Lord, Lord to emphasize. The fruit is not spectacular displays of spiritual power. The fruit is not religious activity. The fruit is not rhetorical skill. Right? I mean, think about that list. Three times, these people boast before Jesus, in your name I did this, in your name I did this, and in your name I did this. Three times, they say they acted in his name. And his response is a repudiation formula in the ancient world. I never knew you. You were never Truly my disciple. Good Lord. Now, there was a fellow back in the day by the name of Mark Driscoll, Mm. who I took particular dislike to uh, um, after I saw some of the ways that he treated people um, publicly in interviews, but also I just saw some things privately. And um, he had gone on an interview and was being interviewed by a British um, uh, podcast host whose wife was a pastor. Mm. And once uh, uh, our brother Driscoll found this out, he began to ask about, well, how big his church was if a woman's leading it. And because for him, like only dudes can do that. Very, very demeaning, very insulting. And so I, I, because it was a public and it was making the rounds on the interwebs, I commented on it and just simply said, you know, to me, this, this is totally unacceptable, no matter what you feel about the issue. And I was instantly flooded by, by messages from people I greatly respected saying, dude, do you know how many hundreds of people this guy's led to Jesus? Do you know how many thousands, I mean, how many churches he's planted? Do you know? And it was all about big, spectacular, awesome.
1: Hmm.
0: And I, I remember I replied, um, I'm not judging the fruit of his ministry. I'm judging the fruit of his spirit. Now, whether it was my place to have said something or not, let's set that aside. And whether or not I was right, let's set that aside. What I found to be interesting was the immediate appeal of to results as the mm. justification for whatever nonsense, um, he was involved in. yeah. And you see Jesus calling that utterly into account. So here's the picture. There's a Jesus shaped way into the kingdom, but there are many people who are going to try to lead you in the easy route, the route that doesn't cost you to deny yourself, the route, the route the route that's easy, right? The route that's comfortable. And the way you're going to recognize those false prophets, uh, is by the fruit. Well, what's the fruit Jesus? Well, the fruit is not their confession. It's not their activity. It's not their miracles. It's not their boasting. It's not even doing things in my name. It's only those who do what I've just outlined in the sermon. Right. Those are the ones you can trust. he says only only those who do the will of my father now he's not talking about being perfect of course not because none of his followers were and yet they became great shepherds of this movement right no were they perfect after their elevation to shepherds right because peter and paul have issues so we're not talking about does my life perfectly mirror the sermon on the mount no jesus doesn't (laughs) no jesus is the only one who doesn't hello hair sealer (laughs) but all we have so here's Ravi Zacharias right Mm. and this I mean worldwide movement and so many people and then and then it just all comes falling apart um with I, I mean and 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 to a lesser degree I've been exposed like that and and others right and you're and you just sit and you go um we we have elevated the wrong people um, to all of our most important positions, because here's the point: the stage is the most anti-Jesus part of the way we do church, right? Because what what is the stage if not the exercise of gifts, the importance of ministry? The, the perfection of confession, the displays of rhetorical skill and spectacular power, right? And so how easy to be lured in by the therapeutic promises of the life improvement coaches, the doctrinal purity of the people whose relational practices alienate everyone around them, right? The righteous anger of the so-called prophets, who, who don't have friends and are horrible neighbors, right? How easy there was a tweet I saw this week from, uh, an, an older reformed gentleman that I have respect for. It was a picture of a a church. Um, let me see really quickly if I can find it. It was a picture of a a church in the fifties, forties, um, something like that. And, um, it is, it has a big announcement that Jesus saves and then it's full of Ku Klux Klan members in robes. Okay. And the pastor from the pulpit is shaking the hands of what looks like to be the leader of the Ku Klux Klan while the audience is watching. Right. Uh, And so, and so this pastor said, um, is this a faithful church? In doctrine, yes, but in culture, no. And the culture makes the doctrine bitterly distasteful to the any honest person. This Christianity is anti-Christian. It started long ago and it's still around. I oppose all such Christianity. Now, I, to- I couldn't agree with that second bit more. But notice the difference between is this a faithful church? Yes, in doctrine. Right. As if being pure in doctrine is separate from freaking being racist <laughs> yeah. as long as we have the confession of Lord Lord baby yeah we made a mistake with culture you're right we shouldn't have been in the hoods but we were right in our doctrine I just yeah. want to say nothing that led
1: you to the hoods
0: yes no I, Jesus so contradicts that here <laughs> yeah so alright can I ask a question no I'm pissed at all of it
1: yeah you can go ahead <laughs> the this is this section is very complicated so when you said that we've elevated the wrong people to position is it that we've elevated the wrong people or is it that the
0: oh that's are they corrupted by question. the position do you know what i mean oh like is it, that's that is timothy you earned your paycheck this week man that right. you're absolutely right i think it's both okay so so because we value the kinds of people who fill the position we've turned the position itself into a corrupting influence. But it's you're right, the dynamic the dynamic has to be both. Yeah. And I'm somebody who stands on a stage and has a platform and I've just learned the greatest threat to my soul is <laughs> that I, is this work that I'm doing. Yeah. Because I'm so liable to substitute all of those things that can be false for the simple, small, sacrificial obedience of loving neighbor and loving enemy of blessing and having integrity of speech of not lusting, but instead conveying dignity and value Mm. of not trusting in money, uh, but trusting in the king. I mean, like good Lord. And so it's like when Jesus teaches the rich people, it's not that rich people can't come into the kingdom. They just have a set of problems that make it like infinitely harder to come into the kingdom.
1: No, that's a good example.
0: And so for me, Paul and Peter, they taught, the apostles taught, there's a place for instruction, Mm -hmm. but the stage is also a metaphor for the kind of leadership that Jesus here says, isn't good fruit. And so (laughs) I just feel, so, I mean, so, so much of the inner work of the last year and a half for me has been, but even longer than that has been like, holy crap, how do you not get warped (laughs) by a professional opinion haver um, or, or by standing in a stage as some sort of expert? Or teacher obviously it can be done and has been done by many godly men and women obviously it's an important part of the kingdom because teachers are listed as foundational leadership gifts of the church and 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 obviously Paul and Peter and um, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila um, and probably probably uh, Phoebe I mean these were men and women who taught uh, yeah. in the church and didn't do so from a place of shame, but as a, from a place of calling, but they, they did it in a world that did not provide the celebrityness, yeah, the, the, the gravitational pull of celebrity into that. So I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, cause, cause anytime you get a Ravi Zacharias, you start thinking, well, well it, you know, or, or Jean Vignet is, was mm-hmm. that his name for uh, LeArch, Um, yeah. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but he was somebody who founded this community that Henry Nowen went to, um, where p- people of uh, of great disability were cared for and nurtured and taken care of, and then you find out he he had this whole double life, um, and and, that, and and as these things keep unraveling. We keep going, oh, how did we miss this, or why didn't we see this? Yeah. And and, and the yeah. answer, of course, is just that we've been we've been seduced into the broad path. Our yearning for these kind of gifts is a broad path issue. Right? Yeah. And so and so I'm not denigrating um those of us who who are called and gifted and who want right. to teach. It's just the work we have to do and the work a church has to do to keep itself healthy in the midst of that is so much harder um than the broad path of 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 christianity which in america which has been great personality big church private double standards but man look at the results so we'll live with them yeah i mean
1: so much of that the broad road the way that you talked about it uh is so self-centered and self-serving right most of it is like that's and what being we've been a a yes and we've spent so much time um you know or you have over the last year talking about the difference between um like the performance nature of being on the stage and um the Mary or the divorcing of your public and private self and because that's like that's what it does right this whole thing segregates the way our model segregates within the church with I don't mean racially although we've seen some of that as well but I'm talking about just with like hierarchies, there's segregation. And these pastors have been, have had, like so many of them have these double lives because of the lack of, it's just, it's so counter to everything we've been doing in the Center on the Mount. It's like you're pushed out of community and because of that, that performance and that stature has built double stand or double identities. That's right, that's right. And we, when Jesus is just like, this is about living with people, living amongst people, being in each other's lives, And And we've built structures that are opposite of that. Yeah. That's right. Not segregated and separated, but integrated with one another. I think it's so interesting because we have like two audiences, I feel like that listen to this podcast. We do have a lot of pastors and we've had conversations about like, I don't know, a couple episodes ago talking about how can we help support pastors who are, who are scared to break from the mold or break from the tradition That has been built here, especially in America, to try to help, not equip because we hate that word, but
0: (laughs) you love uh, it, and and encourage or come
1: alongside. But then there's (laughs) like the other half of the audience is the people who are in the seats or used to be in the seats or whatever, and it's like the encouragement is the same, but it's different, and it's really interesting. Yeah, right. Because people totally being put in that position is tearing people apart that position of leadership or performance or whatever. Yeah. But that affects the congregation in a different way. I don't know. I'm just, I'm rambling now, but I'm trying to process all this because it's really interesting. It's really difficult, but it's it's really interesting.
0: This is devastating to the American church project. Yeah. (laughs) And he doesn't stop there. (laughs) Oh, therefore, and here, here's the sum, right? Remember, he starts by saying he's come to fulfill the law. And that means to show how, it's, it, how it, God intended it, for it to be understood and practiced. Therefore, in everyone who hears these words of mine, that right there is the blasphemy. Right. So he's just offered teaching. But now he's going to say that obedience to his words is what determines whether you've built your house on rock or sand when the day of the Lord comes upon us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, this is standard Jewish rabbinical conceptions. Uh, the rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house. It did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So guess who are the people who are most in danger after hearing this? The people who heard him and didn't yeah. believe it. Um, the uh, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now, some think he could be making temple references here because the... The great, the the house built on the rock was a reference to the temple. And Jesus talks about the coming, you know, a flood of judgment against the temple. So maybe, maybe he's he's saying this is true, Israel is no longer obedience to Moses, it's obedience to me. I mean, dang. (laughs) Um So, and he, and and John the Baptist previews this by saying, just because you're children of Abraham, don't think you're immune from the coming judgment. Mm-hmm. God can raise rocks to be children of Abraham, right? He doesn't need you. And so, <laughs> so he's not talking about two different building locations. He's talking about two ways of laying a foundation to life. Right. One that listens and practices and one that listens and doesn't. Um, so, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then it's no wonder that the reaction of the crowds is super important here. When Jesus had finished saying these things, all right, now that sentence is really important because that sentence or a version of it is used five times uh, by Matthew to indicate the end of a big block of teaching. Mm -hmm. So, so you'll get later, like when, after Jesus had finished these parables or after Jesus had finished talking to the disciples, he does that five times. Now, why five? What To the Jewish mind, what does five mean? Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Who is Jesus? Jesus went up on a mount. He offered words. He says, yep. choose life or choose death, right? And then, yep. and then he compares himself to the rock. I mean, come on. So this is Matthew's way of telling us, this is a new Moses, a new Exodus, delivering us from a a new Pharaoh into a new promised land. That's what he's doing. And it's utterly brilliant. Now, this leads to all sorts of wonderful implications. The first is, um, the invitation of Jesus isn't salvation. The invitation of Jesus is following that hmm. leads to life, but it's not life that's the goal. It's the following that's the goal. The life is the byproduct of the following. So so when you hear this, and I and I, I love my Lutheran and Reformed brothers and sisters who say, yeah, this the whole sermon is just based on telling us we can't do it by ourselves. This reminds us how much we need Jesus. And I'm like, no, that's not what Jesus himself said it was for. Hmm. Jesus himself said we're to actually do this that this is a way of life that and and moses says the same thing to israel in deuteronomy he's like this isn't too high for you this isn't up in the cloud somewhere right meaning it's right here you can do this yeah jesus almost has that same vibe with dude this is close this is close i mean and 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 When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as other teachers. Now you see, you see why they thought, who, this is different because no other rabbi is going to say, Hey, my words, if you live on these words of mine, right? The floods will come and you'll be fine. What the, what, from my understanding, teachers of the law back in those days would quote from other teachers of the law. The way you would yeah. talk about a passage is that Rabbi so-and-so said this and Rabbi thus-and-so said this, and and you would kind of move. Jesus isn't saying this. Jesus is saying, well, you've heard it said, but I tell you, right? And these words of mine, you must put into practice. I mean, it's like, uh, hello? And to <laughs> Jews, religious Jews had been taught that the descendant being a descendant of Abram um, circumcised into Israel, and then being obedient to the to to some of the more external stipulations of Torah was enough to be part of the covenant family. This was striking. Yeah. So on the one hand, this is an invitation to, I mean, there not nothing in here is about praying a prayer or going to heaven or avoiding hell. None of yeah. our standard formulations of Christianity have anything to do with this, right? Nothing. (laughs) The message he preaches is repentance because the kingdom is at hand. So guess what? You are invited to align yourself with the coming of heaven to earth. That's it. That's the invitation. And you want to know what heaven on earth looks like? Look at me. Right. Um, And pray. When you pray... God, may I be the kind of person who does, on earth, what Your will oh, is man. in heaven. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 notice, there's nothing in there about changing the state, right? Or throwing Bibles at people in the middle of rock concerts, right? God bless them.
1: Because <laughs> our mountain is Golgotha.
0: <laughs> Come on, keep saying it. I love that. Dell, and this is where Dallas Willard comes in with D. Okay, well... Yeah, with what does it mean to be dis- a, a disciple? That's that's like religious words that we hear that doesn't mean anything. Does that mean small groups? Nope. So so let's just do some one hundred and one stuff. All right. This is I'm channeling D Willie, who totally made this real for me. To be a disciple is to be a student. It means that somebody can do something you can't do but want to. Hmm. And so, um, I wanted to play tennis. So I go to a tennis pro and that tennis pro apprentices me in a tennis kind of life so that when I swing, I do to the tennis ball, what he or she does to the tennis ball. Correct? And the expectation isn't that I'm sitting there studying tennis theory, but that I am engaging in habits and practices that shape my muscle memory so that when I'm in game situations, I've rehearsed those situations so many times on -hmm. the practice and the practice court, right? That they become second nature. We even have a word for that. They're second nature. Yep. So we are disciples of people all the time. Hey, I want to cook, so I watch this youtuber. That's discipleship. Hey, I really want to understand what's going on in me so I, so I go to a therapist, and so many people who've gone to therapists become therapists right i mean yeah to to it, it, the, to be a disciple is the it's the most basic thing it's I'm learning to do what someone else can do, but I cannot yet do, although we've made discipleship. Being
1: a student of Jesus, but being a student of the different um, talking heads who have yes. purported to speak on behalf of Jesus,
0: or we've made discipleship involvement in the church. So mm-hmm. you go to this church class, and then you go to this small group, and right. then you are on this service team, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so. I mean, you can see why none of this has been successful. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all just built on the ethereal. Yeah, it really is. So, and I'm all for discipleship programs, but those have never worked for me. What's worked for me are the, um, the like AA groups. I was six and a half. Huh? I said, right. You know, the, the groups that there is a ruthless honesty and kindness leads to repentance. Not some pre-planned curriculum. Um, authentic friendships have have been transformative. Blah 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 blah. It's so there's, community. Yeah, always. We're broken in community. We're healed in community. End of story. So there's a simplicity to this thing. We're we are learning from, and this is Willard, dude. We're learning from Jesus how to live, how Jesus would live if he were us. So it's possible to be a podcaster. In a Jesus-like way, to be a uh, a father or mother, a son or daughter, a school worker, a laundry folder, right? All of that is the arena of discipleship. See, I always taught discipleship was a providence of the church. Nope, providence of real life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How are we disciples? How is that not just different from trying? Well, a couple of things. Number one the identities that we are working towards have already been inherited. They've already been given to us. So we're not working from shame, condemnation, or guilt. We're working as people who have, and are part of a new family. And we're working that uh, out, uh, that identity from a place of security. But secondly, and this is Willard dude, Jesus is with us in the, in the combination of his spirit, his, his words and his community. So we apprentice ourselves together. We pay attention to his words. We learn like, not in some crazy way, but we learn to partner with the spirit because the Holy Spirit is just simply the spirit of Jesus universalized, right? Um, and so so you, we have the elements of discipleship all around us. The arena of discipleship is real life. The elements of discipleship are community word and spirit. Um, and part of community are formational practices, and part of spirit are spiritual disciplines, um, and and part of word is understanding the Bible rightly and avoiding understanding it wrongly. So belief does matter. Um, but we're with him because he is present where two or three are gathered, uh, in the words of the gospels, um, and certainly through his spirit, as his spirit inspired the apostles and now inspires us as communities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and the narrow way and the fruit he's looking for has nothing to do with your, the doctrinal purity of your beliefs. So it's possible to um, believe purely and not be Christian. Mm. And it's possible <laughs> to not believe purely and be Christian, according to Jesus. There's a doozy. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. One more, Uh, okay, two more, two more implications. He's like wrapping this
1: whole thing up with some fireworks.
0: Oh, my Lord. Um, For those of our audience who are in vocational church ministry and you have a paycheck attached and a professional obligation to righteousness um, (laughs) and a motivation to righteousness, um, we are in the most dangerous of all positions and drastic measures must be taken to ensure our health. Um, I, I wish I had known and believed this sooner. Um, spend gobs of money on therapy and spiritual direction and retreats and help centers and, and your marriage. I mean, fight for those suckers as if that were the most important thing about you. Cause as, a, as a, actually it turns out it is, mm. Um, there has to be a place where you are ruthlessly honest. You have to have one. You just have to, you have to with not, not just with the cool sin, but with the dumb embarrassing sin. And I, by dumb embarrassing sin, I mean like, um, yeah, this is what I put into the search bar, (laughs) Right? right? I mean, it's not like, Hey, you know, I struggled last week and really nice and generous, like no, no it's got to be it's got to be ruthless and there's a difference, according to my therapist between privacy and secrecy. secrecy means no one knows, and that's death to mm. us in vocational ministry death to humans yeah but but privacy means the right people know right that I have people who can intervene and have yeah out of really great good. love and friendship for me. Um, you have to fight for this because professional vocational religious church going ministry is the it's antithetical to the the vision of life laid out in the sermon on the mount because the vision of life is all about quiet and marginal and slow and remember the word he used hidden Mm -hmm. pray hidden give hidden right and and uh for those who want the spectacular and the crowds that's our reward right you talk about sand there it is yeah and and god listen god is so gracious he lets all of us go through this i mean i of course of course i was taken with all of that and still have the potential to be of course i loved you know being a person of of good reputation and oh yeah just um you know, powerful speaking presence, of course. I loved it and then benefit from it, yeah. right? Benefit financially, benefit reputational wise. Um, Absolutely. And God still used and grew, but the the place where he was relentless with me is that he would keep bringing me back to this mountain of unresolved shame and, and hurt that I was adding to and, and using competence to hide behind. Um, he kept dragging me back there until I was finally willing yeah. to begin to deal with it. And, and, and it was only because of the intervention of folks who were full of grace and truth that, 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 that sort of exorcism in a manner of speaking, um, was welcomed and happened. Yeah. Um, and so, so in the same time, Jesus is speaking words to us that we have to so carry with a great deal of weight. There is grace when we're just so screwing up. There's no doubt, Mark Driscoll. God used Mark Driscoll to do good in many people. There's no doubt, God has used Mike Erie to do some stuff, even though Mike Erie's a clown, right? There's no doubt, Timothy, John Stafford, or Kevin Marshall, or Bonnie Lewis, or whoever right, has been used greatly in the midst of our growing and learning. So hallelujah for that. Just the way we love and give our kids permission to grow and screw up. Our father does that with us, no doubt. But there comes to a place where we have to choose to resist the impulses of stage life. And that could, that stage can be a group of kids in children's ministry, In a, in a, that group, that, that stage could be youth ministry. That stage could be anything where our professional motivations get intertwined with, um, uh, financial incentives to holiness. And, um, and, and the Sermon on the Mount indicts us most of all, right? It just does. And so the last, our, our study through this has been so sobering for me because of this i mean i've just never i've never felt so invigorated and so flattened (laughs) as i have these last these last months yeah like i have to i I can emotionally do two or three of these in a row and then i need to interview somebody like i just need to step away because it's like so searching um and yet (laughs) How how can I not look at this way of being in the world and just absolutely say, I want that? Yeah. You know, I do. I do. I want that. I want to be a force for good in the world. Oh, I need to go take a nap. Between (laughs) WandaVision (laughs) and this...
1: Oh man, I wish so bad that I could somehow reach out through everybody's speakers and help them find like a community that they can do this in. Yeah, I wish that we can manifest that somehow because I just uh, that's that's what has been like every section of this whole sermon has just reinforced how much we need to be in community for life. <laughs>
0: It's so true. And there are so many of us. I mean, we, we've experimented with micro communities. We're trying to find, uh, it's just, um, we haven't
1: cracked it. And I don't know that we can, I don't know what, I don't know how to encourage everybody to find. And I don't know if everybody can, I don't know if people are in places where they can find that, but man, like everything that you just said, everything that we've looked at has just been like, it's living life together and those fruits of like, you know, visiting the people in prison—all that comes out of that community mindset—and all comes out of the the well of community, the being the center focus versus the boundary focus. Like, going back a year or two, like everything has fed to this idea that Jesus is just like. Obviously, he said it first. I'm not saying that <laughs> Vox said it first, but. <laughs> just so much of just like be in each other's lives and and be have that place where you what how did you say it ruthlessly honest yeah, and that's and such st- a physical word like just tearing
0: open, just ruthlessly exposed Ugh. oh who would choose it? no one would choose it that's why that's why it gets forced upon us, and then the only choice is to defend and pretend or to admit and submit <laughs> it's just a so, so
1: gross mcdonald's version of
0: uh, community yeah 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 and and um and and for churches i mean we only knew what we knew and what we knew was church growth theory and it's um, time to change yeah. Well, not just change, but repent. And yeah. and that repentance has to look like acknowledging the harm. It has to look like lament. It has to look like public confession. It has to look like the public symbolic and otherwise embracing of new um, dimensions of yeah. and facets and, and modalities of what Ecclesia is and means and does and how it works. And so I love, I love that in the middle of this whole sermon, I said yes to being a teaching pastor again. And Mm. it's been so interesting for this, this, this church in Tennessee that, that is filled with incredible people for this. See, it would feel so weird for me to be going through this and not wrestling in a community for it. Yes, absolutely. Like, like who, like, okay, we have enough enough white podcasters who are middle-aged men. We, we've got plenty. Mm. Uh, but it was so important. And, and you and Kevin and Brenda and Bonnie, my therapist, my spiritual director, I mean, we were all shouting in unison that one of the most important parts for me and my being healthy was to find a place where I wasn't the centerpiece and I wasn't the head person but where I could do what I love and what yeah. I'm gifted at. And um and so it's the same thing we've been saying the whole time. I have such great hope um for this thing we call the church. I really do. I really do because I've tasted it. I've tasted it at its best. I've tasted it at its worst. I've let it at its best and I've let it at its worst. And yeah. so, you know, I am I am so unbelievably indicted. I just get a chance to pu- to publicly Repudiate things I thought and believed before, and to embrace shifts. And 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 of course, my kids and our kids, they'll have to, they'll have to deal with the culture we've given them. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the ongoing work of every generation, uh, yeah. is to keep is to keep the wine in Jesus's image, the old wine, the inherited faith, and then think and dream and and pray about the new wineskins how we how we love and serve the culture at large in categories it understands and prophetically needs
1: yeah absolutely the church that I grew up in has recently imploded like the actual church that I grew up in and they're all they're all trying to figure out how to Uh, how to move forward or whatever. But when I was a kid in that church, that church was completely community focused and community service focused. I don't remember one Bible study or one like Sunday school story, not one that was taught on a felt board (laughs) and whatever that had no impact on my life. But the way that the adults loved and lived in each other's lives and the way that the families lived together and the way that they served um, mothers in the area and a couple other things. I remember all of that, right? All of yes. it. But that yes. is what resonated and taught me and and gave me a, a, an under a somewhat of a foundational understanding of what it means to be doing all of this. And that's what I want my kids to see. They all of the fallibility will come with it. All of the brokenness will come with it. But I want them to see us loving each other and living in each other's lives and being ruthlessly honest with. And that's okay. And that's healthy. It's healthy to be exposed. It's yeah. healthy to be, uh, yep. um, you know, open with your open with your brokenness and that kind of stuff. That's what I want my children to take with them into their adult lives and to give to their yeah, children. That's yeah, the lineage yeah, yeah. that I want to carry.
0: Yes. That's so well said. And we'll close with this, Timothy. Well said, man, you've added so much to this. I love it. The whole series, you've been really thoughtful and great. I'm going to close growing and learning in real time. (laughs) I'm going to, I know, but that's what makes it so fun is that you speak for, I mean, I hear that from uh, so many of our listeners that you, you give voice to things they're thinking and feeling, you know? Um, but let me just say this, um, about WandaVision and you'll see where I'm going. (laughs) All right. Oh no. (laughs) WandaVision, the, the arc is the story of the stages of grief from deconstruction to reconstruction. And it is the most profound meditation on suffering uh and grieving uh that I've seen, I think, in a long, long time.
1: Whoa. All right.
0: And um, and so I was I was watching it with my son, my wife, and just going, this translates This is beautiful. Um, It's so good. And it's so, it's just what we did. What we just did is Mm -hmm. that journey. Um, So anyway, I will not say more, except if you have Apple TV uh, and have not watched it, it's, there are Easter eggs that, unless you're a Marvel fan, you will miss. Um, And there's, there's parts you won't get. And even I, you know, we've watched all the movies and there were still things we were missing. But um dude I, I just I, I'm I'm impressed. I'm just impressed. I can't wait. Yeah. Who knew who knew comic books had something I to did. say? I yeah, did. I did not. I did. <laughs> so anyway, uh friends, good lord. Thank you for making it all the way through this. We really are grateful. Hope there's something good that you can take away from all this. As always. End. Yeah, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the end. What the hell are we doing next week? I don't know. That was a that was a marathon. I know. I need you to have an epic title for this one. I want you to start thinking now. It needs to be epic. It needs because this was epic. Or at least it felt epic. Like these words of Jesus. Like it wasn't it wasn't just like and they lived happily ever after. (laughs) Epic. This was like
1: I'm gonna find a good striper song title to use.
0: Oh, soldiers under command, yellow and black attack. <laughs> there it is. Somewhere in my scattered subconscious or striper lyrics, I'm sure. Oh man. <laughs> oh well, ladies and gentlemen, in in uh, honor of our of our band striper, we will simply close by saying to hell with the devil. Until next time, friends.
1: Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash VoxPodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash vox podcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.